Hey, what's up, everyone? So, did we had originally intended for this to be a bonus-only episode, but it went a bit long, so what we decided to do is, for the first part, we'd release it to everyone, but the second part, uh, you gotta sign up to be a subscriber to our Patreon in order to listen to it, and yeah, for just for five bucks, you get uh, this, you'll get the second part of this episode, plus a whole bunch of bonus episodes that are awesome in quality, and you get to support us. One of the few... Uh, independent Asian American voices out there in this sea of uh, mediocrity and uh, group things. So you want to be a part of that? Uh, sign up with us and you'll get that. And without further ado, here is our episode on this latest outburst of cultural appropriation. Escape from Plan A. Hey listeners, this is Chris with you for another episode of Escape from Plan A. What's up everyone? And here I have Millie and uh, one of our, I think our favorite guests, Trevor Bolio from Champagne Sharks. What's up guys? Hi. Hey, how's it going? I don't know if uh, T, you and Millie have ever been on a pod together. I think you have because th- we all went to watch. Uh, oh yeah, the hate. You yeah, give. yeah. The, the, but the hate, was, you, the hate you give pod. But that was, that a while was like ago. two years ago, wasn't it? That was that was quite a while ago. Yeah, uh, that's right. And I've also been on Champagne Sharks. I was once. We were yeah, talking about last, the last man in San Francisco. Last yeah, black man in San right. Francisco. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you guys uh, turned me around on it. I was. Uh, I was a believer in the movie when I first saw it. And then... <laughs> right. And uh, our cynicism brought you back down to earth. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think our listeners know what Champagne Sharks is, T, but in case we have like new listeners who might not be aware, why don't you give a, a quick uh, rundown of, of what your pod is all about? Yeah, I'm not sure if the pod is even still doing what it was originally supposed to do, but the idea of it was, uh, I was thinking about how, this is when there was that big, spike in writing and, and podcasting and covering race, you know, around the time of the rise of Ta-Nehisi Coates and Jamel Bowie, where there was just all these people coming out around the time of Black Lives Matter, maybe between 2014 and 2016. And I was noticing how all the race writing or race um, podcasting or segments or articles were always about... Uh, explaining non-white people to white people, you know, and sometimes they did ostensibly be pretending that they were writing for minorities and not for the white gays, but you could tell like the kind of word like uh, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I feel like that didn't really feel like it was written to his son. I feel like it was written to um, white liberal um, listeners and readers, even though people have made similar critiques of James Baldwin's uh, The Fire Next Time, which is what Ta-Nehisi Coates was going for. So our idea was, what if we discussed race, but we spent the focus of it explaining white people to not to non-white people. And I'm not sure how, how well we've kept to that. I feel like we've drifted into like a lot of different things, but that was kind of the main, the main idea, was to challenge the idea of whiteness being default and normative. Yeah, I, I feel the same with Plan A in that we definitely had like a, a strong core mission at first, but you, you, you've you been around, if you're around enough, you got to change and, and evolve. You, you you can exhaust, as, as great as your ideas may be, it will get exhausted after, after a certain point. 
and T, you and I, we were we were hanging out together uh, like last week or something. And then, you know, people would ask me, oh, how do you know T? And then I was like, hey, we met. And it was like, it's already been like, what, three, four years since we first first met. So I was like, wow, that's quite some time under the bridge. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, this uh, this topic is, I think, classic Plan A territory. And I think it's classic Champagne Sharks territory, too. It's this cultural appropriation thing, which I like... I've always kind of wanted to write about it and talk more about it, but I also every time it happens, I'm like, it's gone so stupid. It's it's really at the end of the line. I think simply by talking about it, we're just breathing new life into something that's dying anyway. But something happened yesterday, and I, I think it is worth. I think it's it's around, and it might even be stronger than ever, unfortunately. And so yeah, it was a critical race theory of its day, like as far as like something that just people just wouldn't shut up about. It is suddenly they just stop talking about. Uh, what is? Uh. Cultural appropriation, the topic in question. I feel like a couple of years, you know, how critical race theory is no one could shut up about it. Yeah. I felt like a couple of years ago, like uh, cultural appropriation was a critical race theory of its of its year, you know, mm-hmm. where you just couldn't stop hearing about it. And now it almost feels like a quaint flashback that it's that it's back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Millie, I didn't I realize it had this much legs left in it. Yeah, Millie or and, and T. I don't know. Maybe it's a difference, but I, I think it's something that pops up rather frequently among Asian Americans. I swear, this year alone, there's been at least like two or three incidents. Also, um, in Asian circles, it's still been going strong. You're saying? I think it has simply because it's it's kind of the, the few things we're kind of allowed to complain about. So people project all whatever frustrations they may have uh, onto it, and I mean, I think that's what that's what the the broader topic of this is about. Anyway, so so the incident, the, in case uh, listeners don't know, I mean, I don't want to name names because the person in the middle of this is, is really not worth talking about. But this person uh, found out about this book called Noodles and Dumplings, written by a young white British woman named Pippa Middlehurst, not Pippa Middleton, it's Pippa Middlehurst. This book came out last year, so it's not even that new. Uh, and she tweeted something about why is a white woman uh, writing about like Asian food or whatever. And it sparked this. Bit. She got ratioed pretty badly. And then, uh, yeah, whatever. You know, people get ratioed all the time. But I don't know. It, it sparked something bigger. And then then the dialogue, I, I think what happened was when the when Middlehurst uh, responded, I think that was when the original tweeter ma- twisted it and, and made it all about uh, you know, white privilege. And, and then it was all about how Nazis were attacking her. I'm sure there, there were like deranged people attacking her as well. And then I think that's when more people got pulled in. And I saw a lot of tweets about, oh, you know, this is like white women tears, a white, you know, white women violence and, and things like that. And it became less about the actual original incident, more about something bigger. And that's what I want to talk about, because as I said, the original tweeter is not worth talking about. So, yeah. Well, uh, uh, here's, the thing, here's the thing interesting. Um, I'm going to put the link in here in the chat. But someone else brought up the same thing about a week or two ago and went kind of viral. But for some reason, it didn't blow up in her face like the second ones did. Like like it went a little bit viral and then was just kind of forgotten about. Whereas this other person, and I think there's something a little more histrionic and annoying about the second person that I think makes it more inviting to um, both very shrill supporters and also like very shrill detractors. It's uh, But I just put a link to it, another person who tweeted about the same thing. And for some reason, it just kind of went a little viral and went under the radar. To me, it didn't have the same explosive virality as the 
second person we're talking about. And I'm curious if you guys have any ideas why you think that would be. Yeah, Millie, have you seen this tweet? I, I saw this tweet like yesterday uh, already, but Millie, have you seen it? Yes, uh, just getting caught up to speed. But yeah. Chris, I wanted to ask you about something you said. Uh, yes, you, go ahead. you said that she was ratioed. What does yes. that mean? Ratioed is when you get more replies or quote tweets than you get likes. Mm, mm-hmm. And that signals often people clowning you, people quote tweeting you and clowning you. And it, it's something it's it's uh, something that has been around the Twitter sphere. Uh, I, I guess, Millie, you're, you're better you're a better person, so you don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, but good yes, for you. That's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, T, I, I don't know. I think probably because the the original tweeter, um, she does have a, a reputation. She's like she's like this figure who's been around uh, Asian social media for for a bit. And I, I think this person, this G Jenny Ju, uh, she's like she's an actual like investigative reporter, probably like a legit journalist, not some you know gossip blogger type. Yeah, uh, works so at LA I, Times. It yeah, so like... I think it, and it and then it it just seems kind of drier and and less yeah inflammatory just based I think on people who probably follow her and stuff like that. Yeah, the other girl is more Tumblrish, so she probably has a very Tumblry uh, follower base as well. Yeah, I mean, as I said, she she's this figure that I've seen around uh, Asian social media over the last few years, and as I said, I really not what we're talking about, but. Okay, so this is something that I wanted to talk about, and, and Millie, especially I want to bring you into this, is that once again, um, as we've seen with a lot of these, uh, the targets of these uh, cultural appropriation allegations, is like a young white woman. And it's something I, I first kind of started to notice, even ba- way back, remember the, the Chi Pao incident, which is probably the, the ground zero, at least on the Asian American side of this, in case listeners don't remember, uh, it was some teenager i think she was in utah and for a prom uh photo she dressed up in this red chipao and that sparked a lot of outrage and ever since then um just off the top of my head i'm thinking about the the lucky lee incident which i think was in new york city it was a uh some kind of chinese food stand uh i think run by this white lady and she she got in trouble because she called it like clean because it was supposed to be like health conscious there was this bone broth incident in Toronto, in which uh, some young white woman was running some bone broth shop across a pho shop, and then somebody got mad that there was this white-owned business that was potentially taking away business from the actual Asian-owned shop. There was the Mahjong incident earlier this year when these three, uh, uh, you know, sorority girl-like girl boss types created some ridiculously overpriced Mahjong company that a lot of people got upset about. I think you can even throw the Alison Roman thing in here because uh, it was, you know, she got accused of talking shit about Marie Kondo and and Chrissy Teigen, who is half Asian. I don't know if people actually know that. But so it, it's it is a pattern I've kept seeing. And I think what's happening here is that a lot of this is this like long simmering resentment that a lot of women of color, especially Asian women, have had against white women and the, these Things, whether it's like writing a cookbook or putting on or Asian fishing, that's something like that's, you know, being thrown around in the in the TikTok verse. I think it is this venting of of this resentment that I think a lot of women of color feel like they haven't been allowed to say against white women for various reasons. And, you know, from stories I hear from, you know, 
women I know, I, I know that a lot of shit happens and it's probably invisible. Uh, it's definitely invisible to, to us guys. So well, what do you guys think? Am I, am I like totally imagining things here? No, not at all. But I mean, in, in thinking about what, um, what it is that causes, causes the outrage, you know, behind cultural appropriation, um, I can't help but think that it's something there definitely seems to be an element of profitability involved, if that makes sense. So if someone is making money off of somebody else's cultural artifact, I think that's when people get upset, right? Is that sort of, is that the difference between appropriation and appreciation? No, because like the cheap out girl, she didn't make any money off of it. She just like, it was just like uh, her own like personal Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think I think it is. I think when you say like profit, it, it doesn't only have to be about money. It can be about attention. It can it can be something like just getting a lot of likes. I think on social media, sure. and if right, somebody right. if somebody else is doing it based on what some people think is their like cultural property, I think that's enough to to set people off because you know most people aren't cookbook writers. Most people aren't. Uh, makeup artists like you know we don't actually lose anything monetarily if some some white person does it you know when you look between the line when you read between the lines or look at a lot of the times where people seem to say the quiet part out loud um and i use as an example the whole the whole thing you see with the what do you call it uh the lunchbox narrative you know in the cafeteria you know about the uh, stinky foreign lunch and all the kids rejected me or made fun of me. And now I see you guys eating the food and celebrating it. And I feel like a lot of times there's this undercurrent of you made me feel rejected or unloved or uh, whatever. And you like my culture, but you don't like me. And I feel like that's kind of one of the secret motivations behind a lot of this stuff because people will straight up kind of say it like the girl in question who went so viral and got you know dunked on for this uh when people went to her back tweets she had stuff complaining about how people how like these these people made fun of her and how like white white girls would tell her that she wasn't uh pretty enough to be dating the white guy that she was dating and stuff like that she didn't bring it up in this particular argument, but it came up in her other tweets. And I felt like it kind of colors a lot of the debate. I feel like in general, like a lot of people, I always say this on champagne sharks. I feel like a lot of woke people just deep down really just want to hug from white people. And I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of different (laughs) variations of that. Right. And and we know it's, uh, I think this is a very second generation thing or anytime you feel displaced, in, in your identity. So second generation, obvious, because like your parents are kind of foreign to you, uh, but you yourself are kind of foreign to your own birth country uh, because, you know, like Asians in Asia famously really don't care about this. Uh, but also, you know, like you said, like black people who've been here for, you know, re- relatively speaking forever compared to Asians. But a lot of black people also have these same issues. I think especially if, if you're like going to some like Ivy League university and you feel like you don't really belong and, and you kind of want to aspire to be in those elite circles, but you know you're different. So yeah, it, it doesn't only have to be about where you were born or if you're like 
child of immigrants, but at least for second generation Asian Americans, it's just, it's just like it's it's such a I think I think virus. It, it's getting to a point where it's yeah. I, I guess one thing I'll say is that uh, well, firstly, cultural appropriation is not a topic that I've personally given a ton of thought to. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess like. I'm just for myself trying to unpack exactly what we're referring to and what other people are referring to when they use the term. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, is it a problem for me to cook a dish of another person's, of another ethnicity? You know, is that appropriation? I, I think the obvious answer is no, because what a horrible world that would be in. But I, no, Millie, I think you raise a good point because it's it's so ill-defined. Because I, I think, you know, if you... If you're if you're like a non-Asian and, and you open an Asian restaurant, but you exploit all the workers, you're you're seen in public talking trash about Asian people, and um you 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 know you, you go to their country and and just are a horrible tourist type. I mean that's obvious exploitation. That that's like pretty obvious, and I think everyone would say yeah, that's not good. But then there's like this massive gray zone where are you allowed to open a restaurant if you're not of that ethnicity or race? Are you allowed to even wear it, uh, any kind of clothes or, or do makeup a certain way and go on social media and get a bunch of likes? Is that uh, appropriation? Uh, so, yeah, I think you raise a good point in that it's, it's really ill-defined. And I think it's precisely the point so that all a lot of these, uh, you know, minorities who are probably grew up kind of hating their own culture. I mean, as, as, T, as you said, this, this person who started this whole thing, go through old tweets and she talks about how she like hated being her heritage and hated that food, which is pretty funny now that she's acting like the guardian of Asian cuisine. Yeah. And she wants to, and she wants to be cut in, you know, for uh, monetarily, you know, for this girl's interest in a food that she's been trying to run away from her whole life. It's just something so funny about that. See, I, I don't even think it's about money though. Cause I, I'm pretty sure she's not a food writer and I don't think she has any interest in food writing. I think this is more about, you should not be able to like succeed or be happy uh, on something that has caused me misery for most of my life. So it's just very just, it's not that it's, it's no benefit. It's not about my benefit or my loss. I just don't want to see you uh, benefit. It's like I a very vengeance also I'm conflating field. different things I've seen because there are just a bunch of people. Oh, there uh, definitely are opportunities. So, we're just so, like. Yeah. So there were some people that were like, you should be um, getting out the way or using your white privilege to support these Asian cookbook writers. But what was funny was nobody gave names. I think no one gave names because I bet you if you ask them, they don't know any Asian cookbook writers. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they didn't really care about the topic until they saw a white girl uh, talking about it. Like, like, I didn't bother asking them because I know they would have just Googled real fast. But something <laughs> that was really funny, though, that, I mean, that, that was funny to me was. Uh, the girl's complaining, can you believe it's number four on, you know, the Asian cookbook list? And I'm like, you had no idea who anybody was in the Asian cookbook list uh, until yeah. this thing. You just find out yourself. But by the time well, I read the tweet, I think, Chris, you, you might even when I pointed this out. It was now number one. So yeah, it was number one, yeah. <laughs> she's basically Streisand affected the whole thing where she basically uh, caused more people to buy the book than would have otherwise. Yeah, and, and uh, maybe we can talk about uh, P- uh, Pippa Middlehurst tweet in in reply. If I can uh, just pull that up, because I think if she hadn't tweeted that, I think th- this would have kind of died down because it, it would just been yet another cultural appropriation brouhaha and whatever. Or if, if she apologized or whatever. But so she responds. I'm going to read the tweet. Um, Hi, 
original tweeter, trying to approach this without defensiveness. And it seems as though your issue is with the larger system of injustice in food publishing, underrepresentation of BIPOC authors, overrepresentation of white authors rather than me personally, or I think so anyway. Attacking an individual that you know nothing about, pasting a picture of my face and calling me an arrogant and uncreative white woman allows others who respect your opinion to justify harassing me. In my experience, tweets like this don't challenge a systemic issue or instigate any change. It just serves to temporarily make me the poster child of that system of injustice that no no doubt I am a part of and simply leads to dogpiling amounts of threatening DMs telling me, for example, to go and drown. You deserve to fail. And it ends there. Um, So I I thought I thought that was a fine tweet and I I like that she didn't just be all supplicating to what what I know is a very re- unreasonable tweeter. But then I think this pissed off a lot of people because they were saying she's like weaponizing white women tears. She's making herself out to be the victim here. Um, so, I mean, what were your guys' thoughts about this tweet? You know, this is probably uh, coming from the, the mind of someone who disliked there, you know, I, there are many reasons that I dislike Twitter mm-hmm. and, uh, this is a really good example of, in my mind, of a topic that um, is really difficult to uh, discuss pr- pr- productively on Twitter, you know, because mm-hmm. these, um, no one's thinking, they're just kind of like, you know, throwing down these tweets um, and reacting and overreacting to things. Um and I mean, I, and specifically in reference to Pippa's response, like I, I think it would have been classier for her to not say anything. Um, I, I, I can see where people are coming from, you know, uh, in terms of seeing her response as being sort of self-centering and victimy. Um, you know, not we don't need to respond to everything on Twitter, you know. Uh, I, I suppose, but and I hope I don't come off like I'm, you know caping for for the white lady here because you know it really isn't about that but it's also and and i'm probably called by the fact that i I kind of know about the original tweeter and she's coming in bad faith but why doesn't she have a right to to stick up for herself when somebody is you know and 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 the original tweeter has has a has a blue check to her name she has respectable bylines she even has a literary agent according to her twitter bio this is not some you know crank with five followers and and no profile picture no this is like somebody who according to the rules of the mainstream media is a somebody and she's there trashing her work why shouldn't she have the right to to stick up for herself in a way that is not inflammatory which i didn't think her response was she was just saying hey you know what um i get where you're coming from but you're causing me harassment and and she said that she was getting uh, dms about going drown and other death threats and being like hey you know this is not cool and for people to then reacted to that, which, which I think shows me that it's really not about this Pippa woman. It's really not about that response. It's about this like pent up uh, anger they have, I think, especially against white women, which I don't think is unjustified. I think there's like plenty to complain about. But for I think for sev- several reasons, I think they just don't feel like they can do it openly without being called, I don't know, catty or unfeminist or whatever. So they use cultural appropriation or social justice or whatever to settle these these like old uh, old fights that they've been having for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at different. I was kind of split in that her response myself because I did like that she didn't just cave in and grovel because I feel like a lot of these people are kind of like um, 
emotional terrorists. And if you, <laughs> you know, try and negotiate with them, they just like smell blood and, and go even like further. But I also, something about her, you know, kind of like, uh, poor me, you're harassing me. And, you know, that kind of annoyed me because I was like, the girl brought it on herself to a degree. So I can't, I can't, uh, defend her too much but i'm willing to bet that the asian girl who brought it up got way more harassment than um you know the white girl did because if anything i saw a lot of people climbing out the woodworks to um you know cape for the white woman you know so i felt like i would have been okay with her defending herself but i didn't like the whole thing like and now she sicked all these people on me i'm like yo come on you're gonna be okay like like the culture is more geared towards supporting you than you know like uh like both sides have their minions um come at the other person so i felt like that kind of canceled each other out you know um and then and also like i mean we have to be honest both sides of this are pretty much the same uh in terms of you have a bunch of people going online to write negative one-star reviews of this girl's books now. Meanwhile, you have white uh, racists who are buying this book just despite um, the so-called wokes. Uh, you have both sides harassing a woman in bad faith and making her the poster child for everything bad. Like, I think it's okay to say, like, there is no high ground here. Like, this, this battle is um, bird flu versus Ebola. Like, there's just no no one to root for in, the, in this one, you know, like, mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> but yeah. would you say that, uh, if no one, nobody had tweeted anything, uh, about like cultural appropriation, like, do you think there's anything objectively wrong with this, uh, this Pippa woman writing this book? I think, I think that's like the, the central question, uh, all the things about harassment, that's all just, I mean, see what I hate is that the whole harassment thing, which is obviously very wrong is that it allows anybody to make the stupidest shit possible and you know especially if if you're a minority or a woman or both you're going to get haters back and then that it no longer becomes about the stupid thing you did before uh it now you're you're the righteous victim and 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 all that which comes down to i can be a, a jerk off anytime i want because uh i know that i will eventually get attacked and that gives me the higher ground it, it just completely destroys any any just like semblance of there's no like reward for for you know being reasonable or intelligent because you can just say the dumbest shit and and claim victimhood. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, and then it becomes a matter of comparative victimhood. Like, okay, you got harassed for being a woman, but you're white, so the whiteness offsets your um, womanness. Whereas I'm a minority woman, so my harassment counts as more, even though I actually dunked on you first and sick my followers on you first. And this is this weird back and forth math that happens that involves like, you know, weighing identities, comparing oppressions. And I feel like that's kind of like the legacy of pop intersectionality. You know, I wouldn't even say the academic intersectionality, but this kind of um, media pop, pop culture version where it's just a call to arms to uh, try to compete for the mic by, uh, arguing about whose oppression gives them more um standing to be centered in the in the debate you know it's yeah, it's the, a, uh the good old oppression olympics right yeah exactly yeah. but the thing is it's not even about 
being centered in debate often i think it just comes down to the right to be a total piece of shit uh be like i get to act like in totally anti-social asshole ways because i have this status protection and yeah, it becomes a competition for that yeah and then and then people wonder why ev- everyone's like starting to hate these this type of wokeness because it's it these people are just behaving out of control uh just in terms of just plain decency towards other people under the under the guise of of progress social progress and be like how on earth do you expect anyone to support that but i will say i did see some men of color um chiming in in ways where it was like you know okay even if you don't like the asian girl who did that like uh you coming into the white girl's mentions on some clear you know um hope you see this you know (laughs) hope it gets you some ass type of uh, vibe it was very very tacky like even though i wasn't crazy about the how the asian girl um handled things and to a certain degree i supported the white girl not caving into the uh you know extortion type of tactic i i'm not gonna go in there and like openly cheer her on either like like she she can hold her own you know bra strap or whatever she doesn't need me up in there but there's, there's a lot of black guys like somebody came in like sorry to hear how much harassment you receive but there's a good reason she had to uh restrict reply she's clearly a uh, a troubled individual um while there isn't much hope to the backlash sparking reflection on her part I hope this raised more awareness about your great work. It's like, oh, come on, guys. What the fuck? You're laying it on, laying it on too Come things. on, man. It's this is this is the this, you talk about degradation masculinity. That's right. That's right there. Um, but you know what? I bet there were a lot of say like like white guys going to the original tweeter, being like, oh, you know, you know women of color have it so hard these days. These mm-hmm. these white bitches. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure there was that happening too. You're right. I'm both. Yeah, yeah and, and that's more what I'm saying. These people are mirror images of each other. Their yep. their followers are mirror images of each other. It's just yeah, that's a great point. Um, but uh, anyway, um, Millie, I I I, I want to ask you. Uh, you know, since yeah, you're you're the only woman here. And, and you know you you've show, remember remember last time uh, when well this is not the last time we hung out but we were, we were on the way back from our upstate trip and from New York and, and you were showing me that really cringe Instagram profile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I still remember that. Um, I'm not gonna name names, but anyway, y- you must have had like a lot of experiences with with just like shitty white women, right? Um, you know, just tell us like what, what us guys we're not seeing because I, I think the the fundamental truth is that for for minority men, most of our everyday racist experiences i'm not talking about some grand you know white patriarchy or 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 colonialist imperialist thing no i'm just saying everyday interactions type of people like give a shit uh or whatever are probably gonna be white guys just because you know generally as a speaking we're like a homosocial society you guys hang out with guys women hang out with women uh except if you're hetero and, and you're dating uh so there's like a whole side of you know female friendships and you know enemy ships that are invisible to us and i think my suspicion has long been that this is like a, a bubbling over over all that so you know to, uh share share any like stuff that that you know you want to share hmm i don't know i, I wouldn't even know where to start <laughs> what, many, what, what do you want to know <laughs> or just like just like anything um you know especially kind of I, I think a lot of this probably originates kind of like in your middle school years when People are, you know, kind of like hitting puberty and it's, it's all that tumultuous tween and teenage years. And I think it, it goes, keeps going on from there. So, you know, maybe you can start at some of your earliest memories. Oh, is that all? 
<laughs> no, no pressure, <laughs> just though, your, right, Chris? Just your life story, yeah. yeah just give exactly. us your autobiography. Just my life story. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really sure where to where where to where to start because you know. I, I mean, I think you know, it's not saying much to say that women are competitive with each other. And, you know, of course there can be like a racial component to that, you know? So let's say you're an Asian woman who's dating a white guy, you know, um, that guy's white friend, white female friends, you know, might see you as an outsider and see you as someone who, um, is a threat to them, you know? Um, that's not a fun experience. You know, I've, I've, I've experienced that, um, once or twice. Uh, Just like things that, uh, as I said, like is, would be invisible to, to like most guys. Cause we are, I mean, you know, we can have female friends, but we don't see that kind of, you know, girl friendships or, or women's friendships. We're not there often. So I think a lot of us just goes unnoticed by us. Or because it's invisible. Yeah, I mean, but but is that is that different from being a guy? I mean, I kind of think you know there are lots of things that you know men's friendships involve that women aren't privy to either. So you may not be privy to the details, but I think you're you know like there's a um, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like uh, so. Uh, yeah, but I think I think with guys we're we're allowed to just be more open about you know, oh, I hate this guy, uh, this guy sucks. Or if we're complaining about in terms of race, I think it is more, or it has been, I don't know about lately, uh, I think it's kind of shifted lately, but it's been much more acceptable and because it's kind of logical. Yeah, if you're going to complain about uh, misogyny and racism, obviously white men have to be the ultimate bad guys. It doesn't really make sense to be like, oh, we live in a white patriarchy, but actually uh, it's the white women who are, who are the worst. Um, so I think, at least, if you, if you're if you're like a, a minority guy, you you can you can vent all you want about the evil white man, and everyone else will kind of join in. At least if you're in that kind of circle, but I think if you're minor, minority woman, it's a little harder to complain about white women. You know, for reasons I mentioned before, because you know women are supposed to be nicer. They're it might be because they're unfeminist. If you if you don't uphold other women, or it, it might just be that. If you're like in say like a social progress context, you're always so focused on attacking white patriarchy and white men that it's kind of hard. Because we saw it with Trump uh, after Trump got elected, there were a lot of uh, I felt like a lot of minority women were so happy that a lot of white women have voted for Trump because then they could finally say, "Look, this is what we've known all along, but we weren't allowed to complain about because we were always talking about you know the evil neocons who were you know pretty much all men or whatever." And and finally, we we can complain about white women. And I think there's been this. I feel like if anything is kind of overcorrected. But now it's almost trendy to bash white women more than white men. Like it's, it's kind of weird. Like now it's just understood. White women sucks. They're the handmaidens of white supremacy, and it's almost like overcorrected. I feel like now people complain more about white women than they do white men. And there's so many things I've seen lately. Like one example was them. And then there were some other examples where they almost Harriet. make it seem like the white men, like, we're kind of racist, but we're also, we have limits or a conscious. And like the white woman is like, yeah, I'm not doing enough. You know, that, you know, like, <laughs> they're like uh, throwing on extras, like, you know, or, or they're shaming the white man. Like, I thought you were a man. 
you know, you're going to let those <laughs> those niggers do that, you know, and then they get. Yeah. And I'm like, it's getting, it's getting so stupid now that because at the same time, there's a rise in like what what we always joke of as as the woke bay, you know, like the, the white mm-hmm, guy mm-hmm. who's friends with the activist or, or dating the activist girl. You know, like Dear White People had it, the movie and the TV show and uh, The Hate You Give and so many other things. Gossip, the new Gossip Girl. Yeah, yeah, the new Gossip Girl has it. So suddenly, you know, white men are like um, woke now and redeemable. And it's like their fathers and grandfathers who are the problem. But these new white guys are, you know, turning turning over a new leaf and kind of, you know, making amends for their four their forefathers or whatever it's just like the old guys and maybe the occasional mega uh chud you know that's still the the lower classes it's the you know guys with country accents and and, you know high school education only working construction or mining or what you know those like those kind of like low jobs yeah exactly meanwhile like uh the white women of every walk of life you know are just like horrible you know and it's and that's just and that's just it. And it's yeah, just like, like, funny um, to see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we potted about this like once upon a time. But, you know, like Harriet, who's the, who's the who's the worst character in Harriet? It's the, the white woman and the black guy, big or long. And the white slave master, played by Joe Alwyn, uh, has like this weird um, unrequited love for Harriet Tubman, which I'm sure is absolutely no basis in any history that's ever been. And the guy's not even written. real. He's like an amalgam of like different people. So it's, right. it's not even like. Um, yeah, he's and uh, yeah, Antebellum, like like Gina Malone plays this like psychotic, um, whatever. Because it's not even set in actual slavery times. It's all it's all uh, it's like hostile, you know. The, and the movie where and there's that line where she tells uh, Jenna Jenna or Gina Malone, and you call yourself a woman, like you know, like this kind of idea that white women, you should expect more from them, like you know, as in, oh. Um, the white guy is just following his nature. So if he's bad, he's almost still better than the bad white woman because he's supposed to be bad. And if he's good, then he's should be weighed double. Like like in a weird way, they almost use the traditional worst depiction and stereotypes of white men as a way to, to ironically do the opposite and treat them with kid gloves. As if as in instead of saying, Oh, you've done so much bad stuff, one good thing doesn't, you know, buy you uh a pass or a bunch of praise you know you should have to do three or four times as much instead i find the woke crowd does the opposite which is what they say is oh because white men being so traditionally bad it's okay for us to not expect much out of them when they do bad things not harp on it as much as when say men of color or white women do bad things because we're supposed to expect better from them it becomes this weird excuse to actually treat them with kid gloves and then if they do the bare minimum, then we're supposed to like really overpraise them. It's kind of like when Bart Simpson uh, faked a good report card and he got some some A's or they were fake and they're all celebrating. And Lisa Simpson, she's like, I get A's every day. And like, oh, yeah, but you're supposed to get A's. Like, you know, but uh, for him, this is like really uh, remarkable. We have to really nurture this. I feel like that's what they treat these white guys like in, in real life and in the media now. At the same time, I think white men are seen as more redeemable. Uh, if I think um, they like fall in love w- with a good minority woman, I think this is what the Meghan Markle appeal is because you have 
like this evil imperialist institution, the British royal family, and you got you got the evil actors in there, whether it's Queen Elizabeth, uh, Prince Andrew, uh, who's the one who recently died? Is that Prince Philip? Um, yeah, whoever I he is. So. Uh, Prince William also evil. Uh, Kate Middleton evil. Uh, but Prince Harry, the guy who used to dress up like a Nazi, is is the one good one. And why is that? Because uh, he fell in love with Meghan Markle. And Meghan Markle, uh, who you know, uh, let's just, let's just say she's she's black uh, in, in for for this matter, because I think a lot of people want her to be black, even though even the people who would always decry colorism uh, for this, they they need her to be black. Yeah, it's very um, funny how suddenly she's dark enough. <laughs> She's suddenly like Nina Simone. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, she through because she is more righteous, more intelligent, more charming, more beautiful than all the the white ladies at the court is able to uh, save or burn down or or basically just just triumph over this system. And I think that is a a key um, fantasy for I think a lot of these people. It's like the the male equivalent of like say an Asian guy or a black guy dreaming that uh, he'll, he'll like be in a boxing match with, with like the, the white guy. He'll, he'll, he'll beat him up and then, and, and carry off the, the blonde cheerleader, uh, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll like fuck and live happily ever after or whatever. It's, it's the same kind of fantasy of triumphing over your white bullies and then winning over the, the like good uh, person who is always of the opposite gender. If you're heterosexual, because it, it, it's like you never really see men of color going as hard against white women as you see them going against white men. And it's often the same when it comes, I think, to minority women. They'll never go as hard at white men uh, on a personal level. They might, they might talk about, you know, white patriarchy or whatever on, on a kind of abstract level. But on a personal, like deep visceral resentment level, I think it's reserved for white women because that is their everyday experience just like for men of color our everyday experience is more with white men Mm -hmm. well i mean i think it's uh part of the popular you know discourse now to to talk about how white women are the most privileged people in the world in america however you want to think of it but you know they uh they're what they enjoy the privilege of their race and also um can play the feminine feminism card uh, and those two things, um, you know, give them a significant advantage, I guess you could call it. Um, yeah, I would agree. You know, so, uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons that it's sort of, you know, um, that you see a lot more people riding on white women in general. Right. But for that to be true, then you're kind of. Wouldn't you have to admit to this, uh, what a lot of people would probably call some like men's right activist idea that we live in some kind of gynocracy that actually women... <laughs> Never heard that have, word. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, again, I yeah, said you're, you're better than us. You're, you're better than us. Uh, I, we, yeah, this we shouldn't know this stuff, but we uh, I do, unfortunately. Um, gynocracy. I love it. <laughs> Because, you know, they, those types of guys will harp on all the time about how, you know, women have it good. They don't have to, like, pay for first dates. They get maternity leave whenever they want. They can, you know, sleep around all they want when they're younger. And then they'll trap a man when, when they're, like, in their 30s. Uh, you know, those beta bucks and everything. Well, 
Well, you know, one thing I think to answer your your, your question, one one thing I think is that uh, the gynocracy, to me, to try to come up with a black gynocracy or an Asian gynocracy, I think um, works about as well as when, like, black or Asian feminists try to claim that there's men of color patriarchy in America. Like, you know, like there's, there's a black American patriarchy or, you know, Asian American patriarchy. And it's like, okay, we don't really run anything really, you know, uh, especially as far as like black men goes, we're all locked up in jail or um, having a lot of trouble compared to other races. And people kind of trying to take a white male construct of patriarchy and, not only pretend it applies to black men, like black men are able to get each other off for crimes that they're guilty of sin for, or, you know, get each other jobs or, you know, have the police or the judge or any systems, you know, in their back pocket, you know, it doesn't really happen. And I think the same thing, you know, similar to like the whole gynocracy. Like I think to the extent that such a thing as female privilege or, female whatever does exist i think it's really more white women who get the full benefit of it and i think to some degree for some people that may be something that motivates a lot of the hatred too like this idea at least with like in the black scene with the divestors you know divestors are these uh they're almost like these black female version of incels and they hate to a degree, uh, white women too. But what's interesting with them is they don't feel as compelled as like the woke people to give everything a woke washed uh, cover. So they'll just say straight up, like you know, uh, they get to take advantage of femininity more than black women do, and we want to be able to have some of the same female um, privileges. You know, have our, expect to have our dates paid for, be able to marry up. Uh, be able to not have to work if we don't want to because we have a pool of uh, successful men to marry and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think to a certain degree, these people, woke people are just not very honest. So you always have to read between the line with them. And I actually appreciate some of these other people who just say the truth uh, fr- from the beginning. With woke people, I feel like you have to read between the lines and and keep your eye open for when they um, have a mental lapse and let and say the quiet part out loud. Yeah, it's uh, wow. it's really not that hard to read between the lines. It is hard, maybe, to pinpoint them down. Like if this were uh, a trial, like you would you would need that like solid piece, like a smoking gun, this like confession type of thing. But that might be hard to get. But it's pretty easy. Just you know, you just like piece together things they say, things they do, and it's kind of obvious where they're coming from. But uh, to really I think get that that one key thing where you know you you don't feel like where they can't like constantly dodge uh that can be a bit of work but in, usually they'll, they'll you just have to go through their tweets or you know whatever they write if they're writers or if they're tv show producers you just have to see what they actually do and it's not that hard yeah it's uh interesting to me to think about you know what people say versus what they do um, oh yeah, yeah. I, just, I kind of I tend to wonder, especially as I get older, I just tend to wonder if people really ever, if their actions are really all that aligned with their supposed thoughts. You know, I mean, it's it's always a struggle. Like, if anybody is too uh, 
consistent. They're probably like some kind of religious fanatic who's no fun. So it's like some kind of inconsistency is is to be expected because yeah, I you know, ideals wouldn't nature. be ideals. Uh, yeah, if if we could easily live up to them. Mm-hmm. Real quick, can you guys see the second link that I um, sent through? Oh sure, I I see that. I will click on it. Now I kind of hate to admit this, but that packaging would totally get me. Like that stereotypical hipstering hipstery packaging to that woman's uh, chili crisp and everything. It just feels like a nice Trader Joe's product or something. Like uh, I kind of hate that you know to admit it, but it looks like visually it looks like good chili oil, and I was it made me wonder if. If the food is actually good, does that make a difference? Because one of the big problems I have with I think white... it makes it worse. No, no, I mean for you. Wait, T, did you send not... a link? Because I don't see it. Oh, oh a Millie, you gotta. Sometimes like Twitter does this. You you link to another tweet, but it just always goes to the first one. You gotta yeah. go down a bit. It's like I think it's the last one in the chain. Okay, hold on. Yeah, it's the one. Which about brand her... are we talking about? Because I wonder if it's one that I know. The one says uh, she sells. Well, bespoke it's chilies. it's Pippa Middlehurst's brand. Oh, oh, eats. Oh, got yeah. it, got it. Yeah, it's a picture of her chili crisp and her uh, chili oil. Yeah, I agree. For them, it probably makes them matter. But I'm saying, like, uh, for you guys, because I ordered from this um, Chinese place on Caviar, and I made the mistake of uh, trusting, like, white white Yelp reviews, uh, which I feel like with Chinese food, it doesn't work. Uh, Chinese and Indian food, I noticed, this, they're just not good at. Like, I feel like white people are able to tell good japanese and good thai food but for some reason like with the uh, certain entrees you almost have to like a cer- or certain cuisines you almost can't trust them it's really the opposite i feel like chinese is one of them so what was th- this place uh, this place was on caviar it was highly rated i got it and it was so bland i couldn't believe no how- but what was the place name oh i can't remember um but I could find out real quick. Okay. Well, if it comes to you, it's, it's not important. Well, well yeah, but, I, but I, I can avoid. I it, mean, but, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's run by like a white married couple, uh, who uh, I don't know where they learned to cook cook Chinese food. And I'll say this: the ingredients were great. You could tell they probably used farmers market, fresh source, farm to table. The actual ingredients were incredible, but it was just bland. It was just uh, ho- horrible. And like that was when the cultural appropriation bothered me because I'm like, okay, this thing is more expensive and way more successful than um, probably any um, Asian place. You know, you know what I mean? I feel like um, a lot of Asian-owned places have a harder time getting away with charging premium prices for their food like for example if a if a if a chinese person i think tried to make chinese food that was that expensive it probably wouldn't go over as well but because it's a white person um they're assumed to be kind of um rehabbing or um upscaling the food so so it's okay and it simply goes in reverse too like i feel like a chinese chef wouldn't be able to announce hey uh, I'm opening a French restaurant. Everyone be like, "What the hell is this? Like, like get the hell out of here!" You know. But white people are assumed to be able to adapt and master any food across the across the globe in a way that I feel like minorities, like French food, is considered something that oh, you have to go to an academy and study for like ten years to learn that. I'm not gonna trust someone who's a hobbyist or an aficionado. But um, 
minority food and whatever, oh, that's just throwing in some stuff from a cupboard. Like, like their food isn't that smart. You know, anybody can can make that like with a six month crash course. So it's like, I'm curious because her chili crisp actually looks good. And I'm one of those people where it's like, if the food is actually good, I will um, give you a little bit of a pass. But I'm sure pet, it's yeah. I'm I'm sure it's good. I, in fact, one of the people who came to her defense was saying, "Hey, this is a person who actually spent quite a bit of time um, studying this. She won some, uh, some I think, contest like TV show in in the UK. This is not just some dilettante, uh, just just playing at. Things. She really knows her stuff. Yeah, I and think I, read, I, said, I think I read 15 years of experience or something, including living uh, there." Right, uh, so I I think it would be easy if she, if her stuff sucked because it, it would just you wouldn't even need to make it really about cultural appropriation. It would just be about hey, this sucks, um, don't get it. But I think it especially stings when they're actually good or maybe even better because I think a lot of I, I I speak more for Asians, but I, I think you see a lot of this with with black people who you know grow up in white suburbs and stuff. I think a lot of Asians uh, spent the vast majority of our lives devaluing this stuff ourselves. We didn't want to eat uh, chili crisp, whatever. Growing up, we wanted, you know, hamburgers and, and steaks, or or maybe after a while, we we elevate ourselves and 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 you know, eat like chicken provencal or something. But now that this stuff is kind of cool, we want to make up for all that time we spent being, in retrospect, cringily self-hating and all that. And and then in swoop these these white people, uh, many of whom remind us of our like social rivals when we were growing up, or in fact in, in our everyday lives today are probably our social rivals. And they're happy. They're either monetarily gaining from it, or they're getting attention for it, and it makes us very very bitter. And I think if you're like a like a David Chang or or an actual restaurateur, and you've seen how this unfairness happens, I think they have every right to be pissed off about it. But I think a lot of people on the outside who have no real connection to the food industry, no real connection to food writing or whatever, are using this as an excuse to vent about our own regrets about not having appreciated the stuff when we were younger and all the time we think of having lost or all the like humiliations we had to put up with because we let people trash the stuff and we joined in and all that. Um, or we're taking out our, our anger at, um, you know, the, these like white kids who, who made us feel ugly or uncool back in school and now they're taking our stuff even though we ourselves didn't really appreciate it until maybe three years ago when crazy rich asians came out i think that's that's kind of bullshit and i get where these people are coming from because you know i used to go through those issues myself but at a, at a certain point like grow the fuck up you know it's like not everything is about your feelings all the time, you know, and and or about somebody, high school, like high school, exactly. I feel like is a certain people. And if are somebody, really regardless, yeah, or and about if somebody, food. yeah, that's yeah. True. And if somebody is really good at something, let them do it. It makes the world a better place. Oh, I was gonna say, I think another thing about the whole, like, I even if it's really good, I can understand the argument that yeah, but if an Asian person did something this good, it wouldn't get, it wouldn't sell that much. But because like. uh um, somewhat conventionally attractive uh, white girl. I wouldn't even say really. I said like somewhat as far as like you know, uh, the bare minimum markers of whiteness. Like you know, what I mean, like she's she's white. She's uh, 
relatively thin and she has long hair. I'm talking about like the bare minimum of what society calls like, you know, attractive. You know what I mean? Um, Because of that, like you don't even have to be like a white nine or a 10, like knockout. You can just be, you know, um, white and presentable guy or girl, and you're going to get a certain amount of attention. I can get complaining about that. But what bothers me about these people is they have no Asian people they ever promote. Or same with the black people, really. Unless they got blue check as a friend of theirs. And even then, they're only promoting them because they want um, people from that crowd to win because it's uh, it's going to help their own brand. But as far as like, 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 for example... None of these Tia, people. Tia, are you talking about the Pippas or the other person? Oh, I'm talking about the people complaining about the Pippas. What I'm okay, saying is, it. they they will make a good point about oh she's uh because she's a white woman who has like you know some baseline you know white attractiveness that society likes she's gonna go far farther than a white than an Asian person with the same amount of talent but these people they don't know any Asian cookbook people they've never cared about this topic until they saw a white person um make money at it they um aren't promoting any of these people uh the girl even said that she didn't know who any of the other people on the list were you know <laughs> but she sure that they, they deserve to be there more than her so it's like the best thing that I think you can do is to try to use your internet virality, your platform or whatever to put Asian people on instead of just waiting for a white person to do something and then complaining and being more obsessed. Like they only care about the Asian people in this field to take down the white person, you know, like it's like pure spite. There's, there's no like positiveness. It's all negative. Yeah. Like you guys spent the past year, the pandemic, like, you know, signal boosting your favorite Asian chefs and books and telling people to buy them. But I mean, they might do it now. Like I bet you by next week, there'll be a bunch of think pieces or explainers talking about here's 10 Asian people you should be buying cookbooks from instead, you know, instead of cultural appropriators. And they'll all be people that they only learned about after they learned about Pippa. Right. And not only do they not boost other Asians, I guarantee you, um, a lot of these people actually hate a lot of other Asians or whatever of their own racial group, especially like, uh, I bet they have a lot of problems about the opposite gender. They're they're like very, because like their whole, I think, identity is based on white resentment, whether it's, uh, you know, the white people of my of my same gender bullied me, made me feel unattractive, whatever, and I could never get the white people of the opposite gender that I wanted or they fetishize me or it's did, white they... it's white resentment with the end goal in in mind of ultimately like white acceptance. Like it's like I hate you because you don't love me enough. I feel Exactly. It's, the... it's it's the it's that scorned lover type of uh or unrequited love kind of bitterness. Yeah. Uh because if if all these people and and there I, I will grant there are um, very, you know, whatever, like proud Asian or proud black. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are getting mad about this, and I don't want to include those types of people in this. But I think Agreed. those those are not the majority of the people, I think, getting most upset about this because this is all about feeling threatened. Also, this feeling of threatened that, hey, um, if, if I don't have this monopolistic hold over my culture, I'll be replaced in these white circles because a, a white person will just come and swoop in. Because if you're just hanging on, we say other Asians, like who cares what this white person does? They're not really going to come in because uh, you're already kind of this monoracial group. So 
whatever. But if you feel like you are like a token in a white circle, you're going to always feel like your place is potentially up for grabs, either by someone of your own race coming in, someone they like better, or maybe you'll just be rendered completely irrelevant because they can find a white version of you, which you yourself agree is superior because mm. you actually put them higher up. In your or maybe they'll move hierarchy. on to a different minority. Like maybe you won't be um, trendy anymore, you know? Oh, that, yeah, that's yeah. something that happens too. I, I linked to another thread that I thought was oh, pretty interesting um, where this girl was making... She was one of these woke types that I've seen around and she was doing the lecturing of people. But what I found interesting is, you know, she this is what she said. She was like, it's depressing to see how reactions to uh, the girl in question's treat, tweets are so centered on defending whiteness when her, which I guess means the white girl, her book is already published and she's doing fine. Maybe think about how difficult it would be for an Asian person with same or more expertise to publish the same book. But you yourself don't even know because you have no interest in this topic. In this thread, you're not going to name any Asian people that people should try instead. You're not going to bring up an Asian um, chef that is an example of someone who's that skilled because you don't know how skilled the white girl is. And you don't know and you don't really follow, like, I think, the Asian cooks. I bet you most of the people she knows are probably people that white people know as far as the Asian world. Like, if you asked her to do an Asian chef, I bet you she'd say, like, David Chang or something. And <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny about He doesn't David- really need our help. <laughs> He's, like, doing fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's funny about David Chang. I feel like David Chang is a perfect example. Um, a guest we had in the show, Jason England, uh, had this piece about why were so, people, so many people fooled by Jessica Krug. And it was a great thesis. The thesis was that because a lot of black people in those academic and blue check and elite spaces are kind of like black versions of cultural appropriators. Like, like they're, they're basically Rachel Dolezal just, or Jessica Krug, but with melanin, they were not able to spot the white imposter or to do better than the white imposter because they themselves were just imposters who just (laughs) had the right, the right skin tone. I feel like, David Chang, no disrespect to David Chang, because he's like a nice guy, but uh, I really, and I'm not Asian, I'm not an expert on Asian food, but I really do not like his Asian food, for the most part. <laughs> I just think, like, I mean, I think he's not doing much better Asian food than a lot of these uh, white cultural appropriators I try. I just don't like his, his food. And I'm like, is it? I heard he jumped the shark. Oh, yeah, his food is... This. And and he's a perfect example of somebody who I think can charge white people prices. Like, you know, he makes these... Um, the only thing of his that I like, he has this chain called Fuku, and that's his low oh, end. Oh, yeah, yeah, the chicken, uh, fried chicken sandwich place. Yeah. yeah, that place is actually good. Like, it's his high-end stuff that I found to be terrible. The, the Fuku... But the Fuku thing, I think, is also transparently not trying to be authentic. You know, it's just like a kind of fusion-y type of thing. But, yeah, I was like, does David Chang... And his like um, kind of mediocrity with Asian food, like his Japanese ramen is horrible, and and I don't think he's he's Japanese. So is he culturally appropriating? He's Korean, yeah. He's Korean. Is he culturally appropriating Japanese noodles by being a Korean making it? Does being Asian give him a pass? Um, or or yeah, is he I not find be- all of these questions valid? And yeah, you know, I'm confused by it. He went. I know that he went to Japan to study making ramen. Yeah, his life story is like he was this kind of drifter and then he goes to Japan when he's like 26 and uh, becomes like works up in some small ramen shop and and becomes uh, well versed in it, comes to the East Village and opens the Momofuku noodle shop. And that kind of I think I think he's 
he's more important as like a cultural figure than an actual chef because this was like i think in the mid 2000s um what we take for granted these days that kind of like hipstery type of no frills or or fake no frills type of dining wasn't quite established yet uh it might still be that the the best place to go was the you know white tablecloth type of type of places but then he made it acceptable to be kind of rough you know and all that yeah i think it's a very hipstery thing to do like what they do with their own clothes where they kind of dress bummy on purpose but it costs a lot of money (laughs) we actually find out how much the bummy clothes cost i feel like there's a similar food movement by hipsters where it's like um it's gonna look rustic it's gonna look very no frills and that's supposed to add to the authenticity i think he was very much an early pioneer pioneer of that but yeah i mean i saw someone tweet the other day it's like uh are are we gonna if we're coming after this girl like you know is uh david chang off the off the table or can we can we go after him too because his food is not only that let's say a japanese american makes ramen is that and let's say he or she is like fifth generation you know like uh and has never even been to japan uh, what about then? Because uh, I think Liza was telling me about how there were like these Filipino activists, uh, Filipino American, talking about how all, like some like texture that let's say like American Apparel was selling is actually uh, culturally appropriating some some ethnic group in the Philippines, and then that group accused the Filipino Americans of cultural appropriation, being like, "You don't know, you're not part of our group. You're." You were born in America. You've been to the Philippines once at most. Like, that's so funny. it's just like it's a never-ending, um, like spiral. To, it's to like uh, you know, what's funny is Ouroboros the snake that eats his own tail. Yes, because funny. Um, this person's name is like Ouroboro in it, and that, what you describe yeah. reminded me yeah, of a snake eating. And that's the end of part one. If you want to listen to part two, go over to Patreon.com/PlanAMag. Become a subscriber to our Patreon and you will get access to not only part two of this episode, but to all this backlog of uh, all the bonus episodes we've done, plus access to our Discord. So see you there.